You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. talking about miracles, and a miracle almost took place at Westwind Church. Want to know what that miracle is? The front row was almost filled. It would have been a miracle. Two people. It's all we need for a miracle to happen. Clint, you could just, no, you're not, forget about it. And uh, so yeah, we are uh, in part two of a mini-series in the book of Acts. If you're a guest with, with us, we welcome you. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke for quite some time, and now following up Luke with the book of Acts, same author. We're in Acts chapter 10. I want to encourage you to turn there if you have a Bible, but we always do put the Bible on the screen for you. Um, I want to begin this morning where I left off last week. And uh, last week I told a story about a dear friend. Her name is Brooke Bargainer. We've known Brooke since junior high. She was in our youth ministry, and we're still very close to Brooke, her husband, and family. Well, Brooke has had a rough run for 30 years. She had literally 25 brain surgeries because she's had tumors on her brain that pushes on her retina, pushes out her eyes, and it's just been a very trying uh, three decades of life, as you can imagine. She went blind a number of years ago in one of her eyes, and they decided to close that permanently. And then earlier this year, she was declared legally blind in the other eye. Uh, We shared with you last week that God did something uh, amazing for Brooke. After about three months of being blind, uh, prayers were being prayed. Brooke was trusting the Lord. She looked in the mirror one morning, and she pinched herself. She saw Brooke. John came, they cried, they prayed, they celebrated, and people today are standing in awe of her story. But one of her uh, pieces of her miracle story took place four years ago. In her blind eye, the one that is closed, Brooke had severe pain. And Brooke has a high pain tolerance, but she said on a scale of one to 10, this was an eight, nine. And so she was suffering, she was agonizing. The doctors didn't know what to do. They went to Anderson, Texas, and uh, were consulted. And one of the doctors says, Brooke, we don't know if we can help you with the pain, but we're willing to try. And so they agreed to a surgery. The night before the surgery, the doctor had a dream. And this is a doctor the family doesn't know. This is a doctor in Texas. They live in Cincinnati. The doctor had a dream. And in his dream, he literally saw the surgery transpire. He saw every cut. He saw the precision of the nuances of that surgery. He came the next day before the surgery, said to Brooke, he says, Brooke, I got to share this with you. I had a dream last night of how to do this surgery, and we believe there's great things. Brooke's phrase, for the past 30 years, I have a big God trusting the Lord. They went to surgery. She came out of it completely healed of the severe pain. That's just one of the pieces of Brooke's miracle story. One of the things Brett and I chose to do this past week is to put her story in print. Why? We want to be factual. We want to give you something to truly hang your hat on. We believe God still does miracles. 
And the topic this morning, interestingly, builds upon last week, dreams and visions. Now, again, in Western culture, this is really, really different material. But I want to encourage you, open your minds, open your Bibles, open your hearts to God's Word. See what He teaches us today. But let me encourage you on the topic. Over 200 times in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, this issue is brought up. In other words, God gives his people dreams. He gives them visions. And it's a remarkable thing. And so the question today is, do you believe in miracles? I hope so. And last week we said this. The, the mother load of all miracles is creation. Think about the billions of galaxies and billions of stars and planets within those galaxies. Think about God speaking and communicating his word to us. 66 books written over a period of a 1,000 years, 40 different authors from all walks of life. We have revelation. Think about Jesus Christ leaving his home in heaven. We call it the incarnation, being born of a virgin, living a life, teaching, healing, blessing, but dying, being raised from the grave. Miracle after miracle. And then, yes, last week in Acts chapter 9, we looked at two miracles. And they're both about resurrection because that was the key word. A man who'd been paralyzed for eight years in Lydda is resurrected. And God uses the apostle Peter. Then he goes over to Joppa. And there's this gal who's very benevolent, very generous, loving the Lord, who's dead. And she gets raised. And the people of God stand in awe, and the key to both those miracles last week is the gospel advanced. In other words, Jesus Christ was proclaimed, people gave their lives to the Lord, the church was birthed, not only in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, now we're moving to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter 1. And so the question, do you believe in miracles? I hope you do, because we're going to see some miracles today. If you have your Bibles, Acts 10, stand with me. Get your blood uh, flowing. And let me um, help you discern between the difference between a dream and a vision. Dream categorically is when you're asleep. Vision is when you're awake. And those are generalities, but think in terms like that. So Acts 10, let's look at the first eight verses. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision, notice, an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius, looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And notice it's small l, the word there is kurios, it can be used for Lord, Master, or it can be used big L, Lord. Then the angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call Simon, and call for Simon, who was also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, he called two of his household slaves and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. After explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Please be seated. 
That's one of the two dreams. We'll get to the other one in just a moment. But let me take you to the city of Joppa. It's a very important place in the ancient world and in the biblical world. If you ever go to Israel, this is modern-day Tel Aviv, but ancient Joppa is literally a stone's throw from Tel Aviv, the modern city. Beautiful, beautiful place. It goes back, as best we can discern, about 9,000 years, one of the oldest ports in the ancient world. Joppa's a big deal, but in scripture, it's a huge deal because it's the place where God gave a tough calling. Do you remember his name? To Jonah. And so we're going to connect the dots in a little bit to Peter and Jonah and how they responded to God's tough calling. But there's a few things I want to mention about Cornelius. Think about this, folks. The Bible says that God sees. That's one of the beautiful pictures. In other words, he sees today what's going on at Westwind Church. He looks down and he sees Cornelius, who literally is over 100 soldiers. And what does he see? He sees Cornelius' benevolence. He sees his generosity. He also sees and hears that Cornelius is a praying man, a God-fearing man. But not only does God see, not only does he hear the prayers, what does he do? He acts on behalf of Cornelius. He sees that Cornelius is all in, and now he wants to send a messenger, his name is Peter the Apostle, to preach the gospel to him. Can I encourage you this morning? In your faith journey, God sees. Sometimes we wonder. We live by faith, that's for sure, right? But for, Westwind Church, he sees your generosity. We are here today worshiping in this beautiful property because of your generosity. God sees that and he celebrates that. Thank you. The other thing he sees is your prayer. We did a 40-day prayer initiative, and what a blessing it was day after day for 40 years to see God's people pray. But folks, not only does he hear our prayer, he acts. And as a result, we're here today. So can I encourage you, like Cornelius, keep living generously. Keep praying. Become that house of prayer, that people of prayer. Why? God works, and then we get to stand in awe of him. Now, vision number two, Acts 10, 9 through 23. Follow along if you would. So this is happening concurrently, which is really a remarkable thing. The next day, as they were traveling nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop about noon. So Cornelius' guys are heading south to Joppa. Peter's at Simon and Tanner's house, and he's going up to the roof to pray. See the prayer theme? Then he became hungry. He wanted to eat. But while they're preparing something, he went into a visionary state. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals, reptiles of the earth, birds of the sky. Then a voice to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, folks, again, this is marvelous and miraculous. Can you imagine? Peter was a religious man, an Orthodox Jew. He's praying. This was pretty typical. All of a sudden, he gets this vision of heaven, and there is a communication from above. God is speaking. He's revealing himself. That is miraculous. And so it's a vision of these animals. Peter, you're hungry. Kill and eat. 
notice Peter's response. I want you to think about Jonah here for a little bit. No, Lord, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything common and ritually unclean. That's an oxymoron, right? That's a contradiction. How can you call Jesus Lord and say no? And so there's a resistance. Why? Peter's an Orthodox Jew. He is all in on the Levitical dietary code. He's living in a manner worthy of the gospel. He believes what he eats pleases God. He's a kosher guy. You ever be on a flight, my first flight to Israel many years ago, 1987? I had no idea about kosher, but all you could get because it was a flight to Israel was kosher food. Not bad stuff. But it's dietary. They still practice it today 3,000 years later. Peter's just saying, Lord, I'm kosher. I honor you by what I eat. What's this deal with reptiles and all kinds of animals? Well, the revelation comes. Again, a second time, a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call uncommon. And notice this next phrase, and I think it's just remarkable. You will constantly see God deals with Peter in threes. Peter denies the Lord three times. Do you love me three times? And what happens here? Look at the verse. This happened how many times? Three times, and then the object was taken up into heaven. While Peter was deeply perplexed about the vision, he had seen might mean the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, stood at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. Talk about perfect timing. Guys get sent from Caesarea. Peter's Simon and Tanner's. He's up there praying. He's getting the vision. Guess who's knocking on at the door? Perfect timing. God's at work. Talk about miracles. While Peter was thinking about the vision, notice intervention, divine intervention, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. How many men? Say it with me. Three. Three men. Three denials. Three times do you love me. Three visions, three men. Do you think Peter's trying to get a wake-up call? How does God speak to you? Hopefully it's not as three as it, you know, that necessary. All right, so then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you were looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. Now folks, next few weeks, Pastor Jason's gonna be preaching on the follow-up when Peter leaves Joppa and goes to Cornelius' house. That's a radical paradigm shift for Peter. His whole religious worldview is gonna be flipped upside down. But for him to let a Gentile in to Simon the Tanner's home is a step in that direction. Why? He's religious, he doesn't hang out with Gentiles. There's a lot of prejudice going on in his life. And finally, three men, Gentiles, enter Simon the Tanner's home. And so what I'd like to do today is do what I did last week, uh, do a question and answer format because uh, the topic of dreams and visions uh, is new to you and new to me. I learned a lot, I studied hard, and I hope to communicate some truth from God's word. But if you have your um, connect card, take that out. I'm gonna ask three questions and try to answer them. And so question number one, 
What does the Bible say about dreams and visions? And as I've alluded to, it says a lot. There's over 200 accounts. You can go all the way back to Genesis, and you see this guy called Pharaoh, right, getting a dream, and who interprets the dream? God's servant, his name is Joseph. And what happens? Genesis 50 says, there were many lives saved, including Joseph's family and kin. You open the New Testament, the book of Matthew, guess what you see? Matthew 1 and 2, it's nothing but dreams and visions. Angels are showing up, talking to Elizabeth and Zechariah, to Mary and Joseph. Lean into this. This is God's supernatural work on our behalf, why he loves us. He wants to redeem us. And so... Three categories in the Bible, probably more, but let's talk about them uh, right now. Type number one, subconscious dreams, subconscious dreams. And probably I would guess to say that is the typical uh, dream that you and I have each day. Why do we dream subconsciously? Because we think a lot, we feel a lot. We're, we're connected to yesterday and yesteryear. We're connected to today and to the future. There's a lot going on in us, right? So here's what a subconscious dream would look like. You know I'm a Bills fan, right? Go Bills. It'd be... Kind of like this, me having a dream, me having a dream that, you know, the bills are down and all of a sudden Keith Missile gets called in, wide receiver, catches that baby for a touchdown. We don't lose by three last week, we win by four. That would have been a good reality, but it was only a dream, all right? So we dream a lot. Here's what Ecclesiastes 5.3 states. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. How many of you had a few restless dreams the past few months? Cleveland Browns? Where's my Cleveland Brown fan? <laughs> Been a rough run too, Dave. I feel your pain. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's got a few tears going down. All right. So secondly, type two, category two. Now this one's serious. Please hear me. Deceptive dreams. In other words, dreams could be used for manipulation to promote your will instead of God's will. It was happening in the scriptures. Let me show you a passage. Jeremiah 23, 32, God says, he says, I'm gonna deal with those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, who relate them to lead my people astray with their reckless lies when I did not send them or command them. They do this, people no good, declares the Lord. So here's the warning. Dreams are serious things in scripture, so are visions. They're not to be played games with as the prophets were doing in Jeremiah's time. We don't use dreams to manipulate God or others to promote our will over another. And I can tell you a few stories over the years. Uh, here might be a, a summary of it. It's like the gentleman who's having a rough run in his relationship with his girl. And so to redeem the relationship, he says, hey, honey, I had a dream last night that we're supposed to get married. Now the girl responds, I think it was a nightmare. Count me out. We don't use dreams to manipulate. This ain't game playing. God is serious about this. Now, to the category that we want to talk about this morning. Type three, divine intervention dreams. 
And again, this is an encouragement, folks. God does divinely intervene. You can't open the Bible and not see this. With over 200 accounts, we've got to take this topic serious. We've already alluded to, gosh, Pharaoh gets a dream, Joseph interprets it. The whole uh, Messiah entering the world, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, you can't read the birth narratives without thinking about dreams and visions. It's a beautiful gift from God. And so... Acts 10 is divine intervention. Why? Both Cornelius and Peter receive dreams. They have a vision, right? Cornelius is, is talking to an angel. There's an interaction. Peter's seeing heaven open, and there's a communication, and then people show up, meaning the dream was validated and real. And so we want to focus the rest of our time on this beautiful picture of divine intervention of God. Do you believe in miracles? I hope so. Question number two, what are the purposes of these God-given dreams and visions? Now, friends, I can only touch the tip of the iceberg, but I chose just to stay to the text this morning. I want to give you three purposes that come right from the text. Number one, to provide divine direction. Look at Acts 10, 5 through 6 again. An angel told Cornelius, now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. What's remarkable to me about Luke's account in Acts is look at the details. We're talking about a real city. It's called Joppa. It's by the sea, Mediterranean. We're talking about a real address, Simon the Tanner. There weren't a lot of tanners back then in that part of the world. Why? It was looked down upon in the Jewish culture. And so go to this specific place. God gave him a, a very uh, precise divine GPS. And of course, the encounter happens. And the question is, why does God do that? And folks, the answer is really, really encouraging. God wants to direct your life and mine. You know, the picture here on the screen, if you went to uh, Jaffa today, archaeologists believe right underneath this home is found a first century tanner's home. This is literal stuff. Luke is taking you step by step in a way to encourage you in this faith journey for the miraculous that God intervenes. And so here's the encouragement today. The gospel's advancing from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria. Now we're moving into Gentile territory. Now we're fulfilling Acts 1.8. And what does God do? He divinely orchestrates an Orthodox Jew meeting a real Gentile who's a Roman soldier. He puts them together. I call it a divine appointment to make sure the gospel is understood. Cornelius comes to genuine faith in Christ. And that's what happens. You'll see that in the next few weeks. A number of years ago, Ellen and I had a beautiful uh, experience. We were doing ministry in India, and by the way, uh, especially for those of you who are new, we have a partnership in India with a ministry called Gospel Association of India. And so we were there, uh, had the privilege to be a part of a ribbon-cutting church dedication. In India, when there's only 1% evangelical Christians, of 1.375 billion people, dedicating a church is a big deal. Community leaders come, everybody shows up, there is food, there is festivity, but primarily there is worship. And so there we were, just as guests to experience this, what a privilege. But then we heard the story of the pastor. 
He's a bivocational man. He has a flower business, and they built a home on the third, a church on the third uh, floor of his home. But go back 30 years, here's what happens. Just imagine you're part of this Gospel Association of India ministry, and a gal in the church got a vision. And the vision was to go communicate Christ to a gentleman across town who she had never met before, but she could see him in, his, in her mind's eye. Well, she obeys. She goes across town two hours away, meets this gentleman. God's orchestrating things. She shares with him, I had this vision about coming to you and telling you about Jesus. Well, Hindus have an appreciation for Jesus. He's one of the great leaders, one of the great prophets. So he listened to her story. He came to genuine faith in Christ. This is his story, his testimony. The further piece of that is when she came, he was very suicidal. He was an alcoholic at the time. His marriage was falling apart. Life was in the tubes. He was ready to take his life. Very near that time of despair, he hears the gospel, comes to faith in Christ. 30 years later, families flourishing, a flower business, building a church on top of his home in Vijayawada, India. That's God. And so sometimes we look back because in the West, we don't hear these stories. They are pronounced across the globe. God orchestrating relationships and dynamics through dreams and vision to do what? Direct people to share Christ. Now, at 50,000 feet, would you agree you and me need direction in life? We need direction, right? So the encouragement today is where do we look for direction? Start here. Start with your Bible. The psalmist says, thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. We don't have to pursue dreams and visions, but every now and then, every now and then, God's going to do something so supernatural, kind of that aha moment to orchestrate direction and resolution and his name being glorified. So don't close yourself to it. Purpose number two to provide divine instruction. So look at Acts 10, 13 through 16. Track with me. Now we're talking to Peter. The other one was Cornelius. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything common or richly unclean. Again, a second time a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call common. This happened three times. And then the object was taken into heaven. And so why do I say divine instruction? Put Acts 10 into perspective. We're about 10 years into Acts unfolding. 10 years have transpired. Peter's the point guy. He's the lead apostle. And he still doesn't get or embrace Acts 1.8. You'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He embraced Jerusalem that's my kin. That's, that's where Jews live. He embraced Samaria, although there's a hybrid going on there. But he didn't embrace the ends of the earth. So what does God do? He gives him this dream about Gentiles. The Gentiles are coming down in the sheet. They are unclean. They are the untouchables. You read the New Testament. The Jews, sadly, had such prejudice, they viewed them as dogs. And they had no relationship zero 
no relationship whatsoever. And so what is God doing? He's absolutely divinely orchestrating a paradigm shift for the great apostle Peter. Peter, like all of us, needs divine instruction. And so for him to move from Jerusalem to Judea to the world of Gentiles took this amazing intervention by God. Now, here's one of the things that for me was an aha moment. Why Joppa? Well, Joppa has a lot of Gentiles, that's clear. But I think Joppa is strategically used to take the nation of Israel, the people of God, the Jews, back to Jonah. Do you remember what happened 700 years before Peter? Jonah's living in Joppa, that beautiful port city. What does God say? Jonah, I love Nineveh. I want you to go and preach. I want you to tell them about Jesus. Go to Nineveh. How did Jonah respond? Same phrase. No, Lord. And what did he do? He not only said, no, Lord. He hopped on a boat and he went the other way to a place called Tarsus. God intervened. Whether it's a whale or a big fish, we have the book of Jonah. And by the way, Jesus validated the book of Jonah and the miracle of Jonah when he said, just as Jonah was three days in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days in the earth, meaning his, his burial. He validated that as historical. Do you believe in miracles? I hope so. Do you believe in Jonah? He's real. He's literal. Yes, there was a big fish who swallowed him and spit him out on the shore. But I think the parallel is really clear here. God is reminding Peter 700 years ago there was a prophet. His name was Jonah, and he said, no. I am not interested in Nineveh. I can't stand them because they're ruthless. He had no heart of compassion to preach repentance, to point him to a God who saves and redeems. And here's Peter in the same boat. No, Lord, I can't get over the hump of this tough calling. And that's what it was. Jonah had a tough calling. It was hard to go to Nineveh. The distance, the people, the repentance, and he finally went. Peter here is given a tough calling, and that's why he needed divine instruction. So let me encourage you in life's journey. Some of you right now are experiencing tough times, right? And life is hard. Peter had no interest in moving beyond Jerusalem. He was stuck. He was content. The gospel for the Jews, he was happy camper. And now God is thrusting him forward to one of the toughest things he's going to do in his life. And you're going to see that next week. He goes into a Gentile home. And I know it's very difficult to, to comprehend, but the prejudice ran deep. But finally, what happens? Through this divine intervention, through dreams and visions, God gets a hold of Peter's heart. And he goes to Cornelius, and the kingdom of God comes. And friends, here's the encouragement this morning. I really believe there's a correction here. Because often, instruction and correction go hand in hand. And I know for me personally, I've shared this with you before, one of my great hindrances to taking the gospel to my neighbors, to the community, to people that I have in my sphere of influence. It's one thing that hinders me, and it's a heart of compassion. Lord, I need more compassion to see people as you see them. Sheep who are lost, sheep 
that don't have a shepherd. I think that was Jonah's problem, and I really believe that was Peter's problem. Where is the compassion for people who are lost outside of God, who don't know him through Jesus Christ? How's your compassion meter this morning? Do you have compassion for those outside of Jesus? Are we still praying about who's our one, who's our neighbor? Have you put that magnet up on your your fridge? Is there a connection because you care like God cares? He does all these crazy miracles with Jonah, a big fish, three days, you know, swallowed by a whale. He orchestrates a divine calling with Peter Cornelius to do one thing, to thrust people out, to share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you another story, and hopefully this is a great encouragement. I want to introduce you this morning to a gentleman and see if I can get his name right because it leads to our third uh, point, purpose, to provide divine salvation. Look at verses 22 and 23. They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation was divinely directed by a holy angel to call you to his house, notice this next phrase, and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. And so what is the ultimate goal of the divine intervention, the visions, the dreams, the communication, was to proclaim the gospel, to hear a message. And so the gentleman I want to introduce you to uh, this morning is, his name is Ahmed Yachtin. So let me tell you Ahmed's story. Because today, if you talk to missionaries who are out in the field working among closed people groups, working among Islam, working among Hindus, you'll see the dreams and visions quite often. Ahmad's story is quite remarkable, so track with me. He grew up in Mecca, which is the most holy site of Islam. He grew up under what's called a mufti. His father was the most religious man in that community, a mufti. At age 13, just imagine, he memorized the Quran verbatim word for word, and he was often quizzed on what he had learned. Can you imagine at age 13, memorizing the Quran? As he grew up, he wanted to be a medical doctor, and as a result, he had to go to New Zealand to study English to become a doctor. He's there in uh, New Zealand, and he's studying. He's learning English, and one day he had a dream. He's lying there in the dream, the vision, And he sees this building, he sees this edifice, and there's this bright light, and he can't comprehend what was going on, and he was very fearful. In fact, he thought it was Satan's attack, as he wrote later. He booked a flight to go home, but he couldn't get out of New Zealand to go home back to Mecca for a week. And so during the next week, guess what happened? God divinely showed him what he dreamed. He stumbled across a church, It's called the Auckland uh, Tabernacle Church. It's right there in New Zealand. He walks in. He meets a pastor. You know what the first question of the pastor was that day? Tell me about your dream. Why? God was using dreams and visions among Muslims, among Hindus. Tell me about your dream. So Ahmed tells him about his dream. He gets led to faith in Christ, ultimately winds back in Mecca. Guess what happens to him? Sadly, his family disowned him, and they wanted him dead. They tried to kill him. 
He fled, he's a fugitive even today. But he wrote a book, and let me show it to you. And it's a fascinating book. It's titled, From Mecca to Christ. And it's a remarkable story of a young boy who grew up literally in extreme Islam. Many of the 9-11 Saudis came from his tribe. That's how extreme it was. He learned the Quran by age 13. He was on track for jihadists. And God intervened out of love and out of grace and out of mercy. Today, Ahmed Yaktin is a great spokesman for the gospel of Jesus Christ and around the world, especially for those in Islam. And so, folks, I hope that encourages you. God gives dreams and visions with a purpose, but it begs a question, and it's probably a question some of you are asking now, and it's question number three. Does God provide dreams and visions today to accomplish his will? I think we've answered that already. Would you agree? Certainly in countries where there's so little gospel, do you realize today that 50% of Muslims are illiterate? And it's even just hard for them to read the pages of scripture. 88% of Muslims today don't have contact with one Christian. So why does God intervene? Because he loves Muslims. He wants to bring the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then sometimes he does something so overwhelming like he did with Ahmed Yaktin where his life is transformed. Yes, he's disowned from family, community. He's a fugitive, but he's declaring the good news of the glorious gospel. And so I want to encourage you. The Bible gives no indication that dreams and visions have ceased. But can I give you a few words of encouragement and maybe caution? And if you're taking notes, please hear me because I think this is so important. Number one, we've already said, when we pursue God's will, when we pursue correction and direction, where do we pursue it from? It starts with the Bible, right? This is his divine revelation. All scripture is God-breathed. Start here. Be discerning if you do have a dream. Why? You don't want to be weird and fanciful and manipulative. And there are times, I think, if you're wondering, what should I do? How should I respond? Talk to the elders. Maybe a life group leader. A trusted friend. Ask the Lord, Lord, what does this truly mean? Uh, but in the end, folks, why does God give dreams and visions? Here's why. He loves people. He has a heart for the lost. He is the good shepherd who looks out with eyes of compassion to do what? To redeem sheep without a shepherd. And he longs for us to have that kind of compassion to pursue people as he led Peter to Joppa to see Cornelius, a Roman soldier, strike one, a Gentile, strike two. They were just so far apart in their worldview. And yet, as we're going to see, Cornelius came to genuine faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today. It's really overwhelming to know how thoroughly, Lord, you have engaged us through revelation. And Father, we think of creation, which is general revelation. The heavens declare your glory. We think of your word, which is special revelation. Your word's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. 
All scripture is God-breathed. We thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who left heaven, humbled himself, became a servant, and ultimately gave his life a ransom for many. And we thank you, Father, today that you are advancing your gospel through your people. And you do it sometimes in such unique and miraculous ways. Thank you for Brooke's story, Father, and that people stand in awe of God when they look into her life these past 30 years. And so, Father, I pray that you would take these truths this morning and encourage us to step out by faith, follow your direction. There's divine appointments everywhere, Lord. Open our hearts to them. Lead us, Father, we pray. May your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.